The following Art Trap production is brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by donations from listeners like you. Where's your friend then? Can't see her anywhere. I don't know. Surely she wouldn't have left without a word to us. I shouldn't think so. She seemed a nice bird. Friendly. We're not stuck up like you, Duchess. Don't call me Duchess. I'm worried about Dodo. I'm supposed to be looking after her. You know, showing her around. You, that's a laugh. He's our night for surprises. What do you want in here? The doctor. Do you know him? He's Dodo's boss. He looks like that disc jockey. Ah, I, <laughs> I find you both here. Well, I hope Dodo and yourself have enjoyed yourselves. Yes, thank you. I've one on the house, Doctor. It isn't every day we get the over-twenties in this place. Dig your fab gear. Fab gear? <laughs> Who's your friend? He's not exactly a friend. I've just met him. His name is Ben. Ben, the doctor. Oh, yes. Hello, Hello do, my boy. I don't see Dodo about. I'm afraid she's gone. Uh, she's gone? Gone where, Charles? Live from behind the bar at the Inferno Club, this is Doctor Who Podshock. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it. No, I... <laughs> Uh, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, over 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy and Outpost Gallifrey. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. What blew that? <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? Outpost Gallifrey and the Gallifrey Embassy present Doctor Who Podshock episode 139. My name is Ken Deep alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello. And across the great pond, Mr. James Naughton. Hello. And our friend in the north, Mr. Mike Durin, joins us as well. Hey guys, glad to be back. Yay. For another swinging, sexy, super duper edition of Doctor Who Podshock. And we have a we have a jam-packed show today. It's mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. We're we're days and confused. only a couple of weeks away from from Gallifrey twenty, and we have uh, New York Comic Con going on as well, and many other plans. Lots of news breaking. Some sad, some happy. But uh, let's jump into the Doctor Who newsroom. How about we do that and just get the ball rolling? Well, you had mentioned New York Comic Con, which is coming up on I believe the February sixth, fifth, I mean sixth, seventh, and eighth. If I'm not mistaken. Yep, six, seven, eight. And uh, Colin Baker and Paul Cornell are both are going to be in attendance. So that's something yep. exciting. It's sort of an appetizer for the following weekend, which is taking place on the other coast, which is Gallifrey 20. So which they both will be there as well, along with many other Doctor Who guests. But it's nice to finally get some Doctor Who love in, in the north. Well, in, in New York, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, you're East, getting but... Doctor Who love all the time. Rose. <laughs> <laughs> but not in the Big Apple. Uh... <laughs> um, it, now, the, the skinny with Colin Baker being at uh, New York Comic Con and Gallifrey, they're both being sponsored by Alien Entertainment. Is mm-hmm. that is that how that's yes. working out? 
Yes, Alien Entertainment. Well, as far as Colin Baker is concerned, Alien Entertainment is sponsoring him. Because what happened was I went to New York Comic Con's website and in their guest list, Paul Carnell is there because he's going to talk about uh, Captain Britain and and some Mm -hmm. of his comic work. But Colin Baker isn't on the guest list. And I saw that Alien Entertainment had a table. I know they're, they're sponsoring his appearance at Gallifrey. And I had reached out to to Alien Entertainment. I, I, they didn't, unfortunately, they didn't get back to me in time for today's show. But uh, uh, trying to clarify some of the stuff, I'm guessing we're assuming that Colin will be at their table, um, signing perhaps. Uh, trying to get some more details on that. So, yeah, yeah it'll be good. Yeah. That's really exciting. I'm glad we're going to have a great time here. You know, for well over a week between New York and LA, we're going to do both coasts. And even though I don't think. DWNY has formally made an announcement, but since Paul Cornell, Paul Cornell rather, has um, announced it on his website, it's, it's public enough that we can mention that uh, Paul will be um, is planning to be in attendance at the Doctor Who NY, the DWNY meetup that's taking place. I believe that Monday night after NY, after the Monday the ninth. Yes. Yeah, they they normally do a Wednesday meetup, but you know, being that they can accommodate Paul visiting town. They made it a Monday night at the Peculiar Pub in the Village, which is really cool. Yeah, so if you're in the neighborhood, we are planning to be there. To be, <laughs> we plan we, to be in the neighborhood. <laughs> we, yes, we are planning to be in the neighborhood and there as well. We'll, you know, and also if you see us at New York Comic Con, please be sure to um, give a shout out. And of course, at Gallifrey Twenty, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Gallifrey Twenty as well. We have, we're going to take a we're going to highlight some of the scheduled events that's taking place there. We're planning a preview show and we hope to have um, Mike back on the show for us, you know, for us at that time as well. Mike's uh, contribution when we previewed Galley 19 was invaluable. I mean, his, his uh, sort of tips as to what to look for and what to look out for were, were invaluable. Now this time around, Lewis and I have also been to Galley. So we're, we'll be previewing it not only for you, the listener, but for James as well, who's, who's, um, going to be there for the very first very time exciting very exciting very exciting so the four of us on here plus our friend billy joining us as well as as well as special guests if you go to gallifrey uh the gallifrey conventions website which is uh, gallifrey1.com you'll see that they put up a tentative schedule of events for the weekend and you know these things are very fluid they they, they change um very quickly depending on the needs of the convention and what someone can or can't do. But it's looking like that um, Dr. Hupachuk, Lewis, James, and myself will be recording live in front of a studio audience on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. So um, that should be pretty cool. We have some special guests coming, some announced guests, some announced guests joining us on stage, some unannounced guests perhaps joining us on stage. So that should be pretty fun. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. It's going to be it was uh, It was great, event. too. Like meeting so many people last year, I got a chance to actually see what we do live in front of them, and that was kind of cool. And it was kind of cool to see their reactions. I was looking out into the crowd, and we were doing different parts of the show, and um, definitely brought a, a smile on my face. It's very cool to meet people from all walks of life who tell us their stories about being Doctor Who fans and how they got into it. And you know, perhaps something we said on the show was like, "Oh, that made me think of this." and just great, a great sense of community. Doctor Who fans, uh, you know, very open-minded, very bright people, and it's great to meet so many different people who uh, who share the mm. same interests. Mm. Also in the news, let's see what else do we have in front of us. We have um, it's been announced that on coming up to DVD is the Keys of Moranis is um, 
scheduled to be slated for the first half of 2009. He's a is one of my favorites in the Hartnell era. Mm, as, as much as it's sort of disjointed, it's like a, a like, like six different stories all jammed into one. There's, there's just some some genius to it, but mm. it has an epic quality to it. It uh, absolutely has an, an epic quality. That's the best way of putting it. Mm. It's going to be uh, actually looking like a great year for uh, the release of DVDs. Uh, certainly in the UK, there's going to be at least eleven released that uh, we know about, and. Uh, probably a whole host of box sets as well. Um, very soon in the UK, at least, they're going to be releasing uh, the eSpace uh, Trilogy uh, box set, which will be coming out, I think, within the next week or so. Uh, that's obviously Full Circle, State of Decay and, and Warrior's Gate. Then later on in the year in February, there's The Rescue and the Romans. And then on my birthday, no less, is uh, Attack of the Cybermen uh, will be released. So uh, Nice birthday present. For anybody who would, he's feeling generous. Um, <laughs> so, uh, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, sixteenth of March. There you go. It looks like it's going to be a fantastic year for Doctor Who. Um, uh, and Frontier in Space and Planet of the Daleks, a, 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 yeah. um, a box set which two classic Pertwee episodes. Dalek War, yeah. Um, With uh, the Deadly Assassin, uh, the image of the Fendal, which I'm very excited about Deadly Assassin because the video, the VHS copy of it was a was a train wreck. It's got some of the greatest cliffhangers in the show's history, Mm -hmm. and it was edited into an omnibus format. And to have those cliffhangers back and and have it treated with the respect that it's due, that's probably that and and Frontier in Space are the two that I'm most looking forward to this year. Mm-hmm. But I'm quite surprised. I, I thought that the image of uh, the Fendal was already out on DVD, but shows I'm being taken to school right here. Uh, maybe it's just I've, I've, uh, that that episode always sticks in my brain for some reason, I, and I I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I I have it on VHS somewhere and uh, and watched it recently, or I I don't know why I thought it was already out on DVD, but. There we are. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes happens. I know that was I think in the case with me, we're going to be in this episode of Dr. Pachak, we'll be reviewing the DVD of The War Machines. And that was the case with me with that. I said, oh, this is out on DVD. I wasn't this already coming. Wasn't this already released on DVD? But I, it was I maybe it was one of the later releases on the VHS ones. And that's why it was sort of fresh in my mind. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess as Doctor Who fans, we've already almost bought everything on VHS and now buying the DVDs and such, so it's it's easy to get confused. But speaking of, of the new series and what a, a great year it's going to be, um, they've started uh, shooting again uh, on the specials for Doctor Who. James Strong has already started uh, directing uh, Planet of the Dead, uh, which... Recently, there's been some a few location photos and things because I think they started filming yesterday um, uh, at Museum Avenue and, and mm-hmm. Park Place in Cardiff, yeah. uh, amongst other uh, locations. And it's I always like it because uh, it's nice that the fans are out there and, and can can take pictures and things. And uh, you know, you can look at them if you want to. You, you don't have to. Uh, and it's nice also that, that our our good mates over at um, the Doctor Who news page at uh, gallifrey1.com forward slash news. They are very good with spoilers and, and don't uh, talk too much about it. So I just wanted to mention that if you want to go and see a couple of photos, you can head over there. 
Um, and there's loads of stuff in the forum as well, of course. Also, it, talking about uh, locations and stuff, uh, there's been this uh, brought this to my attention anyway. It's also on the Dot Two news page that um, there's an article in the Guardian regarding uh, uh, the possibility of a location shoot in in Dubai, and uh, the chap who who wrote it, um, Gareth McLean, um, has attacked the decision of the BBC to have a location shoot in Dubai purely because of the country's sort of human rights records. You know, but I think it would be awesome. I think as a Doctor Who fan, um, if you are going to be limited to Earth and, and, and look at stories from Earth, then it's always nice to go to exotic locations. And let's face it, Dubai is so futuristic and, and glitzy and a, a, such a... Um, major tourist destination that if you wanted to dress it as some kind of alien world you almost could because it is quite a a bizarre <laughs> it's an alien world onto itself <laughs> yeah so i think as a as a location um it's superb but i can kind of see what what he's getting at but i don't know i'm kind of torn with this because i i really would like to see them go to more exotic foreign places uh it was great with the fires of pompeii and 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 things uh, in last series when they went out to, to all sorts of cool locations. And that's what I want to see as a Doctor Who fan. So, um, but it's make- always special when the program does go on location somewhere, you know, anytime it's a location shoot, it's, it's always an exciting event for me only because so much of its history is based in shooting in a studio. So when they get outside and, you know, it, it's always a, a big plus for me. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of get as, as, as great a, a city as London is, you kind of get bored of seeing uh, London and Cardiff. It's it's nice to have a bit of a change, it's got to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only other news item that I really had, I don't know about you guys, is that Doctor Who has um, been nominated for yet another uh, award, this time for its uh, special effects. Uh, the Visual Effects Society, which is going to be, the award ceremony is going to be taking place on the 21st of February. And it's been nominated for two awards. The first is for Outstanding Visual Effects in in a broadcast miniseries, movie or special. Um, And for that, the the Christmas special, The Next Doctor, was nominated for the Cyber King effects. It's up against Generation Kill, Knight Rider and John Adams. And the second award is for Outstanding Matte Paintings in a Broadcast Programme or Commercial. And The Silence in the Library, very superb Stephen Moffat story, is, nominate, is nominated, and that's up against Generation Kill and Merlin. So kind of not, nothing uh, really spectacular. Obviously, Doctor Who is a, an amazing show, and um, it's nominated for an awful lot of awards. But it's kind of nice that, that it's, it's special effects, the visual effects, the, the great job that the mill does and everything is kind of being recognized because now nowadays it seems like the mill is doing special effects for for everybody there's a a new um show well that's just come out in the uk that i'd like to talk about on um hitchhiker's guide to british sci-fi even though it's technically a um a fantasy show um, and that's demons, and mm-hmm. all their special effects are done by the mill as well. So it's nice that they're finally being recognised, and that their effects are being taken on board by other shows as well. 
I don't know if you guys had any of the news, but that's something yeah. had had we're, written down. We're in the third week of the year already, and it's um, we've seen, unfortunately, almost a year's worth of um, of passings. It's been a real blow to the science fiction fantasy genre as far as um, great losses. Everything, everyone from Patrick McGowan to um, Ricardo Montalbán, and leading the pack this year was John Scott Martin. Now, maybe that name doesn't doesn't hold the weight of um of the other aforementioned names but he is a historical name when it comes to doctor who because of his long history with the program he's appeared in uh more than 110 episodes dating back to the william hartner era as well as um working up into the sylvester mccoy era so and you may be asking well who is this um john scott martin and he's mostly known for doctor who fans as playing the dalek he was a dalek operator uh the one of the chief dalek operators of the time but he's appeared in other parts as well everything from playing zarbies to um um, a minor in the green death john pertwee story as well so it's on and he had petitioned the bbc to come back to the program back in 2004 when it was announced that the series was returning uh, unfortunately, he didn't return, but it's um, it's a sad loss for Doctor Who. It's someone that has been in the program for that long. Outside of Doctor Who, he's, he's been in Pink Floyd, The Wall, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, Eric the Viking, uh, The Tripods, Little Shop of Horrors, Out of the Unknown, and many others. Yeah, he has, a, he has a nice little speaking part in, in that first episode of The Tripods where he plays a teacher. So if you actually want to hear him speak on camera, that's mm. a, a great part and a great way to give you an excuse to watch the tripods mm. i was going to say certainly he's one of the most like prolific actors in doctor who because if you take into consideration all of his the parts that he's played he's been in, in over well over 100 episodes mm-hmm. um certainly he's got a a very uh recognizable face i think uh, you can just to look at him you can recognize oh i've i've seen him in doctor who um well, they interviewed him. I think it was th- uh, more than thirty years in the TARDIS. The that the thirtieth anniversary yeah. special. He had mm-hmm. a nice, um, and I believe, if my memory is correct, it may have also been the Daleks. Remember that series that they had of the, da- the Daleks, the early years, and some things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. He may have also been interviewed there, but I think it was thirty years in the TARDIS where he really had a, a nice, nice chance to be interviewed about being a Dalek. Hmm. Mm. Very good. Uh, I don't know if anybody else had anything that they wanted to chat about in the way of news. I think that's going. Probably really going. <laughs> <laughs> that may ra- I know, well. I believe we do want to touch some touch upon some fan news as you know as far as uh, fan events goes. Ah, uh, Hurricane Who yeah. and uh, Dwin both have new events coming up. So, um, I mean, I just want to make a mention that Hurricane Who has announced a Easter party, a, a Bon Voyage send-off party that's taking place on uh, um, Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And- 6 p.m. it starts on Easter Sunday. That's in, in conjunction with the Doctor Who cruise. They're having a Bon Voyage party to raise money and raise awareness for Hurricane Who, the convention in October of 2009. Uh, in conjunction with the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise, they're going to have a Bon Voyage party featuring Nicholas Courtney, Fraser Hines, and Richard Franklin. Sounds like a blast. A, 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 an evening, a Sunday evening get-together, intimate get-together with three legendary Doctor Who actors. So that should be a, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm 
seriously considering making a one-day trip for that because I think I can get New York to Orlando airfare relatively inexpensive and, mm. and make just a long day out of it. Being that it doesn't start till 6 p.m., you know, I can I can leave in the in the morning and have a little bit of time in FLA and enjoy the party and then come back on an overnight flight. Mm. Mm. Well, it, it has to be said that there are some really good uh, deals on at the moment for flights and stuff. Uh, the credit crunch in that respect is, is quite a good thing. <laughs> and I had a chance to meet Nicholas Courtney many, many years ago, but not Fraser Hines or Richard Franklin. So it's just a great excuse to, as I've mentioned before, it's just a, a situation when it comes to the classic show and especially the, the black and white era and some of those early days, it's time for us to appreciate the the legends of our show while we have them here and as we just learned with john scott martin and many of the actors that we lost in 2008 we we need to appreciate them while we're here to archive uh, uh hearing their stories and, and listening to what they have to say and asking our questions while we mm. still can mm-hmm. you know every one of these gentlemen uh, I, I i keep my my fingers crossed that they're all in great health but um you know time marches on for them mm-hmm. yeah. sadly i mean overall yeah, and it's, it's it's they're doing it in conjunction with the crews, and it's it's good to see now more events, more events taking place, uh, conventions like like the New York the New York Comic Con bringing in Doctor Who people, and now a new convention in Florida, which Florida used to be one of the big places for mm-hmm. for events and conventions, and now they've had uh, looks like I know they did an event with Terrence Sticks, now they have this event coming up before the cruise, and then the actual Hurricane Who convention itself. Yeah, which is going to be the ho- uh, Halloween weekend this year, October. 31st into I think November 2nd whatever that that, that weekend is yes now just this is on the website for um, sci-fi sea cruise and the Bon Voyage party this is just one little paragraph and I want to take a second to read it out to you Doctor Who is coming back into style uh, there's a big resurgence of Doctor Who fandom across America and here in Florida as well so they go on to 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 discuss exactly what Mike just said it's great to see that Doctor Who conventions are are joining the rest of sci-fi in America. The, the conventions are coming back and they're coming back in a big way. And so it's just ex- it's an exciting time. Well, it's, speaking of that excitement, I think Mike has some news to tell us about an, a um, a Who party that's coming up. That's right. Um we're uh, we're resurrecting our convention that takes place uh uh, usually it took place here in Toronto, although sometimes uh, uh, there were a couple that were held in Western Canada as well as uh, other uh, other parts of Southern Ontario. Uh, it's a convention that started way back in 1978, actually two years before uh, the Doctor Who Information Network even came together, our convention goes back to. And it's had a little bit of a break uh, for the last, uh, well, let me see now, uh, end of 2001 was the last Who party. And we're bringing it back in the spring. Uh, it's called uh, it's called Who Party, but uh, it is it is uh, it is more of a convention than uh, than just a party. It's a it's a it's a small relaxed convention uh, since uh, you know the population base that we have to draw on up uh, in the Toronto area uh, for an event. It's going to be taking place now. Here's the tough part: we don't have any any concrete details yet on guests or date or location, other than it it will be in downtown Toronto. There will be guests, uh, hopefully from the new and old series. Possibly just the new, but I'm trying to get uh, guests from both the old and new series. And we're looking at, it'll be a a one-day convention taking place sometime within a few weeks of Easter, after Easter. Mm -hmm. Uh, We 
need to uh, we've been working on getting the financing in place and raising money over the last uh, couple months since uh, I think back in December we announced uh, the on our, we launched our website and announced that we're trying to put this together so we've been raising money and we just need to put uh, get, get everything lined up that we can make sure that the guests we've talked to can can make it on the dates we can get our venue and we're going actually to start announcing concrete information really soon over the next couple weeks uh, it's um, I'm, I'm a little disappointed i'm here just on the cusp of, of making some some big <laughs> announcements well uh, can you give the web address so people can um visit the site and, and keep up to date on it of course. Uh, it's an easy one to remember. It's whopartytoronto.com. That's uh, whopartytoronto, all in, all in one word, .com. And that's, uh, that's got a site that uh, right now has uh, basically the information I've just listed for you, uh, with a little bit more on the background of, of the Doctor Who Information Network and Who Party itself. Uh, there's a link to be added on uh, if you want to be added on to our mailing list of an email list uh, to keep everybody up to date, as well as some links to, to the other DWIN sites on Facebook and, and uh, the CBC and such. And we're, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that, uh, again, as part of this resurgence, uh, we, can, we can bring Who Party back because it was a convention that ran for a long time over... Uh, uh, there are a few gaps uh, along the way, but uh, from 1978 to 2001, there were Who Parties uh, in or around Toronto. And hopefully from 2009 onward, there will again be who parties in and around Toronto or even somewhere else in Canada. Excellent news. Mike, can I ask you a couple of questions about it um, without getting too specific, because I know that not a lot of details are finalized. Is this what we were talking about before? Is this part of that like resurgence, like is bringing back this who party part of that idea that the conventions are coming back and, and because of the popularity? I absolutely, I think so. We've uh, uh, ever since there was last a Who party, we we had our last Who party in two thousand and one. We always had it in our minds that we wanted to do something again. And when the when the series came back, uh, actually starting in two thousand and four, before the series came back, uh, myself and uh, some of the guys with Dwayne, we uh, and, and then them afterwards without me, uh, put put on some smaller events, brought over uh, uh, a couple of a couple of writers, and 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 tried to do smaller events. And it just seemed kind of silly that with with the new series being so big it, to, to not capitalize on that and take this moment to to launch and i, I gotta say that our our email list now has nearly twice as many people on it as attended the last two party uh so uh the interest is there it's just uh, that whole uh, anybody that's ever started a convention it's, it's it's like we're starting all over again i think the real number is is something like who party 14 but uh, it, it's it's we have so many people that are emailing us that they want to help out, and mostly people we've not heard of before, new names, uh, people interested in 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 getting involved in uh, people from say the new fandom wanting to get involved in some bricks and mortar Doctor Who fandom. Uh, a lot of great stuff goes on online, but when it comes to conventions, it's a little there's there's another level of organization and commitment when you start putting on events and and uh, spending thousands of dollars to rent hotels and fly in guests. The, the people seem to be there that, uh, that want to attend and help make it happen. And I, we've noticed over the last couple of years with things like, as an example, Hurricane Who and the Sci-Fi Sea Crew is getting together to help, to help have uh, guests come to, you know, to, to share expenses. And you see, let's say, as Alien Entertainment having Colin Baker come for, for the two conventions in the United States. Is, is there anything like that going on with what you're doing? Do you have the opportunity to, to link up with another con to help reduce your costs? 
unfortunately, that, that opportunity doesn't really present itself because, I mean, we're in Toronto and we're a long way from anywhere else that that does a convention. Our, our convention is going to be one day, so it is. Uh, it, it, it's always a possibility. And in fact, if you go way back, uh, in 1993, I ran a convention in Toronto uh, with Fraser Hines and Sarah Sutton on on a Sunday, and the day before, uh, they did a convention in Montreal uh, with the same guests, and we just flew them between the cities overnight. Uh, mm-hmm. Not overnight; it's a one-hour flight. But <laughs> you know, we flew them in, in on the Saturday evening. So that that. That whole method that's uh, become so popular now is something we were actually tried doing 15 years ago. If we could, if there was more, I guess, more fans uh, in in maybe somewhere else uh, in Canada or or near you know, nearby, but not so near that we would be drawing on the same area for the same mm-hmm. fans. Because if, uh, if let's say know, New York, <laughs> yeah, well, New York's far enough away. Say something like Detroit or Buffalo uh, probably wouldn't work because people would right. come to one or the other, and it would be the same group of people. Um, I'm I'm hoping that we can, uh, if we can't do something with this uh, first new Who party, that we'll we'll have some opportunities for uh, uh, for sponsorship uh, from uh, from from companies, much like Alien Entertainment. Uh, they're uh, they got a they have a great setup the way that because uh, you got a company and you got the convention and everybody can work together and then and now even help out other conventions. Same thing with Tenth Planet, uh, the way they work in the UK and then they work with the North American conventions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll we'll get our first conven- first new convention out of the way, and uh, we'll get some notice from some of those folks. Being that we're on this, um, we're, we're talking about all these conventions. I I think it's a, a good segue into um, we, we're just coming off the heels of some um, a, a couple conventions here that were in in the fall and leading into the into the winter season. One of which is a big northeast convention, which is Chicago TARDIS. And our special correspondent, Billy Davis, was there, and um, he filed this report on it. Hello, Podshock listeners. This is Billy Davis reporting on Chicago TARDIS, the Midwest U.S.'s premier Doctor Who event, date November 28th through the 30th, 2008. The convention took place at the Weston Hotel in Lombard, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. The featured guests this year were the sixth Doctor, Colin Baker, and the most popular of all the classic Doctor Who era companions, Elizabeth Sladen, whose character now has her own series called The Sarah Jane Adventures. But more on the guests later. I flew into Chicago from New York on Friday, and just upon touchdown at O'Hare Airport, my Doctor Who experience started when the flight attendant announced, Welcome to Chicago, we will be arriving at gate K-9. That woke me up and I was ready for a weekend at Doctor Who. Sorry to say there were no tin dogs as I walked on the terminal. The convention hotel was a new one for this, their ninth annual Chicago TARDIS convention. The Weston Hotel's presentation rooms were large, the lobby was spacious, and the hotel rooms were reasonably priced for con attendees. The hotel has a bar, you gotta have a bar of course, a restaurant which was a little pricey, but right next door was a shopping mall which had a food court with a wide selection of fast food vendors. We have to watch our wallets so we have enough money for the dealer's room, right? Ah, yes, and they had a dealer's room, too. A nice one that sold only Doctor Who stuff. They had three separate rooms of constant programming to choose from. One large ballroom, which was for main programming, interviews and panels with the featured guests and special events. Another room called Alt Programming, which covered panel discussions on Doctor Who and related subjects. 
and the third room was called Alt-Alt Programming, where the focus was on writing and literature in the Doctor Who world. They also had two video viewing rooms, the first featuring classic and new series Doctor Who, Torchwood, and the Sarah Jane Adventures. I couldn't help stopping in to see the second Doctor's story, The Ice Warriors. Great stuff. The second room featured video related to Doctor Who, like interviews, documentaries, and appearances in non-Doctor Who shows. I saw a bunch of things I hadn't heard before, like a documentary on all creatures great and small, which starred Peter Davison. They also showed a tribute to the first Doctor Who producer, Verity Lambert, called Drama Queen. And I saw a few shows with David Tennant before he became the 10th Doctor. On Friday night in main programming, they presented a game show called the Chicago TARDIS Randomizer, where contestants are brought on stage in teams and compete against each other by viewing video clips of the TARDIS materializing in random locations anywhere in the show's 30-year history. The object is to guess what planet and what story it came from. The game show was entertaining from the audience's standpoint, as we all brainstormed on our own trying to figure out what obscure planet it would be. Then following that was Fan Film Friday, which featured Doctor Who fan films, but only debut fan films that had never been seen before at any other convention. On Saturday night, Chicago TARDIS did a live commentary of a Doctor Who episode with Colin Baker. Fans recently found out that there was an Easter egg, a hidden feature, on the Five Doctors 25th Anniversary DVD. It was David Tennant doing commentary on his predecessor's performance in that 1983 story. I haven't heard it yet, but I hear it's very funny. So that idea was used here as Colin Baker did a live commentary on a 10th Doctor episode. Following this was the Chicago TARDIS Masquerade Show, one of my favorite events of the weekend. Chicago TARDIS made a big production of this and featured it as the Saturday night event. They described it as part costume contest, part fan variety show. At halftime, they brought up some of the celebrity guests for a mock game show. I'm a costuming nut, so the weirder and obscure the costume, the better. I really get a kick out of seeing the Doctor Who costumes that fans come up with, especially from the 60s black and white era, because you don't get a chance to see those original costumes in color anywhere else. The master category costume winner was a William Hartnell lookalike who did a spot-on impression of the first Doctor, complete with the hat and scarf as seen in Hartnell's first story, An Unearthly Child, and his last full story, The Tenth Planet. A great job. I entered the costume contest as the White Robot from the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton's 1968 story, The Mind Robber. I'm proud to say I won two awards, Best Journeyman Costume and Best Workmanship. As I exited the stage, the MC quoted the original story, saying, It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. In creating my costume, I tried to stay within the same budget restraints that the original designers did in Doctor Who. So I used cardboard, paint, hose duct found at your local hardware store, and more cardboard. I'm sure the white robot will be seen at some other Doctor Who conventions in the future. Keep an eye out. But the guests were the real attraction this weekend. Aside from the 6th Doctor and 17th Companion, we also saw Gary Russell, Nick Briggs, and the Big Finish audio people, and writers Paul Cornell and Robert Shearman. The fans really got their money's worth this weekend with Colin Baker and Elizabeth Slayton. Each of the three days, they did an hour Q&A panel, an autograph session, and a photo session. 
They both were extremely friendly to the fans and appreciative of all the fans turning out to see them. I have to hand it to Chicago's artists for getting Elizabeth Sladen to come to the U.S. for this convention, while back in the U.K., her Sarah Jane Adventures TV series is currently airing. This makes a really hot property. Meeting her was a great thrill for me, and I have to say she's more beautiful in person than on the screen. She was so nice to everyone all weekend. Colin Baker is a great personality and perfectly suited to these conventions. I had heard him in commentaries and immediately liked him, but here at the Chicago TARDIS convention he took it up a level and was hilarious. He was always funny and entertaining in his talks to the audience, but at the same time completely honest. It was particularly exciting for me to see Colin Baker in person because I had just finished watching the entire Sixth Doctor period for the first time. I'm a newbie to Doctor Who, and after getting hooked on a new series, I've spent two and a half years watching every episode of the classic series from 1963 to the present in order, and I just finished The Sixth Doctor. So for those who understand that your current Doctor is your favorite, right now The Sixth is my Doctor. <laughs> well, very good. You know what, Billy? This is segment one. I think he's going to be recording another segment as well, reporting from Chicago TARDIS. And I think probably in that segment, he'll be talking about his um, his white robot entrance into the into the costume par parade or whatever they call it there. Yeah, he's going to have it at, at Gallifrey as well. It's, uh, he was kind of alluding to that. And that's always great. I love when, when you're a, when you're a big time fan of a particular thing, be it a, a Doctor Who or, or and also in my case, a, a big Star Wars fan. When you go to a convention that's purely that one thing, not a general science fiction convention, it's the customers bring their A game. They bring the stuff that only other fans would be into. So when you see the white robot or last year at Gallifrey 19, the drunk David Tennant and things like that, that kind of stuff is just so cool because he, yeah, it's not just the doctor. He's wearing the headband and he has the drink and the whole bit. And, and, you know, the white robot, I mean, you know, it's a black and white era costume. It's, it's something unusual. I love obscure stuff like yes. that. Yeah. yeah, and it, anytime someone asks me, well, what should I dress up as? And I'm like, pick something unusual, something that hasn't been overdone and something different. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that's, that's, a, that's a nice costume, the white robot. I've seen quite a few pictures online from, from different people on Facebook and such that of that costume. And when I found it, it was your friend Billy. I thought, hey, that's a, a cool added touch. That's a friend of a friend. Well, when you're at Galley, we'll get a picture with you and the white robot. <laughs> One you can share with all your friends. <laughs> It'll be, um, as a matter of fact, the white robot will be appearing at Champions quite often over that weekend at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> How cool would that be, uh, to be bought a drink by the white robot? It, it, it's re it requires a lot of lubricant. <laughs> a lot of golden <laughs> lubricant. <laughs> you don't exist, you don't exist, but buy me a drink. <laughs> well, it was Billy himself about a year ago who coined the phrase a new golden age of Doctor Who conventions. And, you know, yeah. he may have been maybe just a year off because it seems like it's all coming together right now, you know, and it's a very exciting time. You know, the, the news that Mike had mentioned about Toronto and what's going on in Florida, of course, the annual Gallifrey convention that's taking place um, less than a month as the time, you know, at the time of this recording. It's a it's a very exciting time. And plus, New York Comic Con and Colin Baker there. We were just at New England Fan Experience that had Peter Davison. So it's great seeing being able to, you know, having this opportunity to attend these Doctor Who conventions. Yes. Mm. 
Mm. It, it's good to see Doctor Who guests back at conventions. You know, and it's it's great because I as as much as I enjoy seeing other guests from 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 some of the other shows that I like, um, you know, Doctor Who is always close to my heart, and it's just great that they're going to be there and and good. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> so now, since we're on this whole convention swing right now, Ken, did you want to um, touch upon some of the highlights of Gallifrey 20 that's taking place well, next month? Well, I had mentioned to you off air, I said the, the convention schedule, the tentative convention schedule just came out and we, we mentioned it earlier in the show. And I was I printed it out and holding it right here and perusing it and, and getting an idea of, you know, I, I know that. The, the minute this came out, Billy had called me and said, the schedule's out. And I know he goes and he takes a yellow highlighter and he's got his whole weekend regimented where he knows certain panels, certain discussions, certain certain um, mm. interviews that he wants to hear. So uh, I kind of did the same. I, I, I went over it. And again, these this is always a preliminary schedule. The conventions are still a month away. So I, I, you start getting an idea, okay, I, I know I want to hear Phil Collinson you know, at some point. I want to see Colin Baker and, and Nicola Bryant together. But then there's other programming on the schedule as well. And some of it, as Mike pointed out last year, there are certain other highlights. So I was just flipping through it to, to get an idea um, of the, the, Liars, um, the Liars panel is always a popular one. And, and this year they're doing or they're scheduled to do um, the live commentary I know they're doing a Torchwood one. And I'm looking to see here where, where the live commentary, I think it's on the Sunday, that they're doing um, Journey's End as a live commentary. And that basically, mm. it's just like a DVD commentary, except it's done live in front of a studio audience. The guests are really there. The studio audience is sitting in-house. So if you have a question or if there's a funny moment or whatever, there's, there's live interaction. But you're still watching the episode together. I think it's a great idea. It's, a, it's an idea that, I, to the best of my knowledge, was started at the Gallifrey conventions. And, and thumbs up to them for that idea. Whoever came up with it, they, gotta, they should be given the fandom award. It's very popular. There was standing room only last year. I mean, there were people literally standing outside the doors, you know, just trying to get including a, you and I. Yes, <laughs> and we we were so far out of the room that it was almost completely worthless, even just standing there. We couldn't hear, and we, um, it was um, it was who did we? It was Blink, right? With um, Stephen Moffat with Stephen Moffat, and it just was. A, a, they had it in a small room, which they didn't realize that this was going to be so popular. Yeah, and it, I, I believe they're planning at least last year. They said that the, for this year, they'll, they're going to hold those events in a larger room. As a matter of fact, on the schedule, Lewis, the journey's end is in the main room, the yes. big, the big ballroom, and that's with but Phil it, Collinson, the producer, <coughs> and Gary Russell. If we were any further out of that room, we would have been in the garage. <laughs> They need one of those rooms which is bigger on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. Which that one that one wasn't. Um, there's an interesting panel on Saturday. I, I don't know if you saw this Saturday uh, morning, 11 a.m. So you want to podcast Doctor Who? Yeah, um, it's a very. Um, it piqued my interest. Maybe we should attend that and see what we can do. <laughs> Maybe we can put together a podcast. Well, Lewis, we are joined by some other Doctor Who podcasters as well, which, as well, which is really great. We got a chance to yes, Radio Free Scaro it will be there with us as long as well as with um, Behind the Sofa, the uh, um, John Williams and not not the composer, 
<laughs> and well, well, just, well, maybe was, he is a composer as well. I was but, hearing all that, you know, hearing John Williams' music as you said that. You know, lots of. Yes. He did some music for the inauguration today. We're recording this on inauguration day in the United States of, of uh, the, the new president. We'll and be John Williams' speeches later on. Hmm? We'll be doing our speeches later on. Yes, and, and maybe we'll have the new president as our as our guest. <laughs> so what 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 made you become a Doctor Who fan? And he'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> well, that panel. If you're interested in in starting a Doctor Who podcast, uh, or it doesn't necessarily have to be a Doctor Who podcast, but any any podcast will be addressing podcasting in that panel. The only thing that I I kind of found um, a little bit of bubble bursting on that is that we're right up against the uh, Doctor Who convention meet and greet. And that's the only... They, they put all the conventions... Last year, they spread it out so that each convention had a meet and greet at a different time over the course of the weekend. All the conventions are doing their meet and greet at the same time. Uh, Jennifer Kelly from Chicago TARDIS and uh, Dan Harris from Sci-Fi Sea Cruise and, and Jared Cooper from Hurricane Who. They're, they were all, they're all in the same thing mm-hmm. at the same time. They're doing this one sort of convention thing at the same time, and it's up against our, our podcasting panel, and that's a panel I would love to see because I, I'm curious to, you know, you always want to find out, not only for my own interest, but for be, to be able to report on it on the podcast, podcast, what's going on with the conventions, you know, what are they lining up, who they have coming, what, you know, what's the plan? Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe you'll have to send a reporter there. Maybe we can send our man on the street, Billy Davis, over there. To, uh, to get the scoop. I mean, that's yes. the, the biggest problem with a convention like Gallifrey 20 is that there's so much going on, there's so much programming, and unfortunately, unless you're a Time Lord, you can't be at two places at the same time. So that's why it's, it's great to take this program schedule and look at it in advance. And as, uh, as Mike had suggested last time when we did the preview show, take a highlighter and kind of decide ahead of time where you want to be Otherwise, um, you're going to miss something that you might want to see. And sometimes you do are presented with choices where you want to be at two places at the same time. And maybe sometimes something might repeat again in another slot and you'll have another opportunity like a Q&A panel with a certain guest. You'll, they're, they're doing it multiple times throughout the weekend. So, right. Yeah, so. But I think I think it's just a sign of what a good convention it is, is that there's, you know, uh, for me, the best convention possible is where you won't see everything. And obviously that's not physically possible. And the organizers do a terrific job, I think, in, in trying to uh, juggle things as best as they can so that you can get to go and see as much as you, you possibly would want to see. Um, but sadly, I guess it's just it's just not physically possible because they only have a certain number of rooms. They've got so many people there, you know. Um, well, it's it's so. a tribute to a convention organizers' creativity when you go yes. and you actually have to pick what you're going to go see. Because I've been That's to conventions it. where you've had downtime and you're like, Nothing okay, well, we've got three hours to kill now. Yeah. And and that's, that's, that's not the worst. Good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's not bad if you're if you're looking to hang out with some friends, especially if it's people like I don't I only see Mike at Galley. So it's great to have a chance to 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 catch up with them um, as an example. But at the same time, it's just great to have so many choices because mm. they're very creative in their ideas for panels. It's not just, you know, here's a panel on Star Trek. Here's a panel on Firefly. They actually come up with themes and the panels really very focused on what they're talking about. And, and there's a lot of interaction. 
and they don't do the same panels two years in a row. So it's not, uh, and, and I don't know what have I done, eight or nine of these Gallifreys. Uh, it's, you like a panel, next year, um, they're, they're, you know, even if you don't like a panel, <laughs> and the next year it's going to be a totally new lineup. And, of course, you're going to touch on some of those same, same ideas, uh, but they're going to approach it from a different angle. But this way, it keeps the convention fresh. It doesn't get tired, you know, where yeah. there are some conventions where they kind of repeat the same thing year after year. And then you think about it, you have done that, been there, bought the T-shirt and why go again? At least this keeps Gallifrey fresh and exciting. It's uh, you can go year after year and still find new, fresh material. Mm. Especially if you're going to fly thousands of miles to get there. The last thing you want it to be is stale. <laughs> <laughs> and they also have quite a few, I noticed, uh, astronomy and space exploration and science panels this year. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, did some last year, but it seems like there's even more this year to, to also break things up and give some variety. It seems to be a growing trend, and it's uh, at conventions to have, you know, sort of the sci-fi and then the, the, the real science as well. And, and for me as a scientist, it, I'm really thrilled about this. And it's, it's uh, another reason why I'm really looking forward to Galley is that, they, that they're doing this. Um, so. I, I think it's great because I think if you're, if you're introduced to science fiction because you find it fun or interesting or whatever, and then you're exposed to real science and you understand the, the things that actually... The, the possibilities, of the reality of it all. I think it's great. It's a great learning experience. At, at Lewis will tell you when, when we were in New England for uh, for uh, New England fan experience. Uh, I was a huge thrill. I was clearly I was there for Peter Davison, uh, being a Doctor Who fan. But Story Musgrave, the legendary astronaut, was there, and I was as geeked up to meet him as I was to meet Peter Davison because he's a man who's. He, he's flown on the space shuttle half a dozen times. He's brilliant as hell. And he does, in real life, what we dream of doing. Mm. You know, he goes into space. I mean, what what else is there? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that kind of stuff, is. it also puts a lot of this into perspective. When you're there and you're, and you're learning about the real science of things and, and you're hearing what's really going on, what the current state of affairs are. There's a there's a tendency. There has been a tendency, especially here in America, to sort of downplay science, and that that's that's a shame. Science is brilliant. It's mm -hmm. it's the future, not the past. We're going to be doing a whole preview show on Gallifrey 20. That's going to be forthcoming, and we're going to have Billy, our Billy Davis, our special correspondent, who was with us there last year, on the show with us for that. And Mike Duran, if we're hoping that he'll be available, and be back on the show for the for that as well. So. Uh, we'll do a whole preview of what to expect, and uh, it's a very exciting time. So if you haven't gotten your tickets in order yet and you're still contemplating whether or not you should go, you, <laughs> now is the time, you know. Well, it, this is the 20th anniversary, so you know that they're pulling out all the stops. Lewis James mm -hmm. and I have made a, a commitment to all be, to, to finally after. This is our third attempt, so hopefully the third time's a charm of the three of us being on stage. Now, I know James has already got his airfare. He's already got his hotel. On, he's already got his tickets. So, you know, with the it's three happening. of us. Yeah, it's <laughs> finally. Last year, we were, we were talking about it, leading up to it for months and months and months, and they broke their attendance records last year. This is the 20th anniversary. We've been talking about it for an entire year since we got home from the last one. And really, they have a spectacular lineup. I mean, you have a mix of the 
black and white era, the the traditionally traditional sounding classic era of Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant. Then you have Wendy Padbury representing the, the, the most classic of eras, plus writers and, and producers from the current show, plus Torchwood being represented. You have representative of the entire scope of Doctor Who. And I think we're going we're gonna to crush last year's attendance records at this year's convention. And you know what? It's probably going to be about 70 degrees and sunny in L.A. And if you're in New York today where there's snow on the ground and it's about 20 degrees outside, there's nothing more appealing than sitting uh, <laughs> by the poolside at some point over that weekend. That's half the attraction is just being in L.A. in February. <laughs> yeah. <Only half. laughs> I, tend to I know that, that Mike takes full advantage of the pool. I learned that about Gallifrey last year. Is I'd pa- I would pass Mike in the hall and he'd have a towel wrapped around his head. Where are you going? <laughs> you know. And I thought I thought he's either jumping into hyperspace or he's going into uh, he's going into the pool. And he, he opted for the pool. And thank yeah. goodness too. That, Wise man. First day, I tend to miss a few things I wanted to see on the Friday because I go down to the pool and end up staying down there all day. <laughs> uh, I got to break that bad habit. Uh, now that there's uh, there's more, when there wasn't a TV, when there wasn't a TV series on the air, maybe the programming was a little lighter. Now it uh, means actually missing stuff to do that. Mike, do you have any idea about um, some of the the after parties this year? Remember last year they had the Daleks in Manhattan was a, was a theme for one of the parties. Are you clued in on any of the the things going on nightlife wise? No, I mean, uh, the, well, that, 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 there's that the room where they had the Daleks in Manhattan party is is a party pretty much every night of the convention, and the the same there's a, the, the League of Evil Geniuses guys, uh, mm-hmm. who I, I'm hoping they're back. I, I don't know. I just sort of hope they're there every year. And uh, usually, if you can figure out where that room is, uh, it's uh, they usually have a big suite. Uh, going back for I don't know how many years, even I think to the older hotel. There's usually something in that room, and it, it opens out onto the pool deck. So if you if you can't find, it, you can walk. You do a circumference of the pool. You'll probably see it from the other side. And uh, I remember standing out on the deck with you guys last year. Yeah, uh, at that party. So that's. Um, I, that, I love it that they have a theme to it. You know, it's not just a bunch of people standing around talking. It's there's actually people. Mm-hmm. They deck the room out and they dress in costume. And I know that they're having a Fires of Pompeii toga party, but that's a, the official convention. Mm. Um, I was going to mention that, so I'm pleased to... So bring your toga, James. (laughs) Well, this is it. I'm going to have to pack quite a lot, you know, swimsuits, togas. It's going to be one hell of a time, so... uh... But if if I'm doing it, you guys are doing it too. You realize that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going alone. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll have to swipe an old bed sheet from. from Maybe we uh, can just go in in our in our towels or whatever. So it's it's not just a fire of Pompeii's party. It's also a hitchhiker's party as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or or a, a Playboy Mansion party. I'll come with my uh, my smoking jacket on, my robe, yeah. and my slippers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dressing gown. Oh, and definitely down down by the elevators. There's always a message board. Um, on the convention level, there's always a message board where people post all of the party info. So if, if you're at a loss for something to do and the bar's not doing it for you, I'm sure uh, there'll be lots of signs there for the different stuff going on. Mike, or after the bar's closed, then you want something to do. <laughs> Mike, have you had a chance to, to look at the schedule? Oh, definitely. And uh, fact, Do you have something that sticks out in your mind that says that's, that jumps out at you? Um, I don't know. There's... there's I'm, tr- I'm actually trying to think. Uh, I tend to like the the fan panels as well, sort of the fandom related panels. So the like like the pod shock recording, like the podcasting panel, the missing presumed white panel should be good. Yeah, uh, 
uh, Steve Roberts from the restoration team will be there. He always uh, uh, does a good panel. And I noticed that it's in last year they did uh, they did the the restoration team panel on the main stage, and this year it's in yes. a smaller room. Uh, so uh, and they had a good crowd on the main stage. That's kind of surprising that they would scale it back a bit. Yeah, it's uh, but I guess there's uh, I think there's more. Uh, more actor guests this year and it's 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 always got to be tough for them to juggle it all around but i yeah. think a smaller room could also mean more interaction and and i'm sure steve will uh, shudder when i come into the room with my my annual list of complaints about no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, uh, but the, the steve's panels are always really good so if, if there's one thing one panel i'm most looking forward to and it's not seeing the three of you guys on the podcasting panel then it's <laughs> the, the missing resumed wiped one all right, well, that's uh, February 13th, 14th, and 15th of 2009, and we hope to see you all there. As, like I said, we'll be doing more on this, more coverage of this as we lead up to that date. It's coming very quickly, so um, like I said, start making your plans. Well, if you haven't made your plans yet, start making them now. And it's, um, you don't want to miss this event. Yeah, it's we a huge hotel. It won't sell out. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the convention rate has been sold out, but you still can get rooms at the normal rate. That that's right, and, and I understand that there are there are even some discounts available through the hotel website uh, that are almost as good as the convention rate. So if if if, you, if you're checking in for a room and you're not because you're, the convention rate's gone, it's getting bounced back at you. Search a little bit, see what room options are there, because yeah, as you say, it's a massive hotel. I think there's more than a thousand rooms in the hotel, so mm -hmm. there. You know, and you, worst case scenario, you can always try the old Jedi mind trick. When you get there and you say, I'm here for the convention, I tried booking it, I had some kind of, you know, some kind of issue online, I couldn't get it, you know, will you, will you um, give me the courtesy of having the convention? It's worth a try. I mean, it, you know, it's always worth trying because this is, this hotel has had this convention now for 20 years. They want the, they like and want the repeat business. They don't want to alienate the fans and and when a hotel does something right uh, you know we, we always beat up somebody who does something wrong but when a hotel does something right you they should also be given the thumbs up and 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 acknowledged if they do something good and so hopefully yeah. they'll they'll do the right thing marriott seems to be pretty good like that if you're a triple a member they honor that discount as well so you know just something to uh, keep in mind Oh, double A. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it? No, it's triple A. It's triple A. Okay. No, double, double A is the a, alcohol yeah. anonymous. <laughs> yeah. They don't give a discount. Well, the bar right. will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll we'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Mike Tucker. I'm the visual effects designer on series one and two of Doctor Who, and you're listening to Podshop, presented by Outpost Gallifrey. What's that? It's a sonic screwdriver. Never fails. Drop the sonic device. Isn't my day, is it? Even the sonic screwdriver won't get me out of this one. Are you seeking Doctor Who news? The Sonic News Driver. Selected Doctor Who-related news stories delivered sonically. All in a bite-sized podcast. No bigger than a jelly baby. This can function as a sonic blaster, a sonic cannon, and a turbulent folded sonic disruptor. Doc, what you got? I've got a sonic cannon. Oh, never mind. What? It's sonic. Okay, let's leave it at that. Disruptor, cannon, what? It's sonic. Totally sonic. I am sonic to all. A sonic what? Screwdriver! 
The Sonic News Driver. Find it on iTunes or go to sonicnewsdriver.com. Who has a sonic screwdriver? I do. The Sonic News Driver. Get yours today, sonically. Neat, isn't it? Hmm? This is perhaps not the biggest computer in the world, but it's certainly the most advanced. In fact, it can han handle scientific problems well outside the range of any other computer in existence. We are about to link this up with computers all over the world as a central intelligence. A sort of problem solver. I don't understand. <laughs> well, perhaps it'll be clearer tonight. Oh, uh, tonight, sir? Yes, of course. Press conference. I thought your visit. Oh, yes, 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 of course, my dear fellow. Yes, I do, do. It all sounds very exciting. <laughs> exciting. Look, this is my secret to Polly. Hello, Polly. How do you do? Now, Polly's pretty smart. A cracking typist, right? <laughs> also rather a cheeky one at times. <laughs> well, now, this machine, which I call Votan. You call what? Votan. Spelt W-O-T-A-N. Will operating uh, thought analog. Yes, yes, quite yes. Right. Well, now, Votan can not only think faster than Polly or myself, it can also type faster. True? Afraid so. And it never makes mistakes, wretched thing. <laughs> Are you uh, seriously telling me, sir, that uh, you have invented a machine that can think? Yes. And never makes mistakes? Never. <laughs> and we're back on Doctor Who Podshock. It's, uh, it's time to review... The DVD release of The War Machines, the William Hartnell classic, The War Machines. And this was just a great excuse for me to watch a black and white DVD, just a classic. And so we all had a chance to, to go back and, and watch it and watch it again, give us a great excuse to watch it and, and review a little bit of the, the features and some of the things on the DVD. It just came out in North America this past, within the last two weeks or so. It was fairly recent, yeah. Yeah, the first week of January. Uh, along with, um, what was the other story? Forty Doomsday came out at the same time here in North America. Uh, the first, first thing I, I wanted to comment on on on, uh, on sort of non-story or feature-related things is, um, it seems like since Two Entertain kind of took over the the reins of of the Doctor Who DVDs, the like the packaging just isn't the same, and it's just I don't know how to explain it. It looks the same, but it was like. You know, a little bit flimsy for for my liking. I don't know if they were like trying to cheap out on it or something, but um, considering that the prices really didn't come down on the DVDs, there's still a, a a premium DVD to buy. It's not like there's some kind of discount for D Doctor Who DVDs. But the restoration team, once again, just top notch on the restoration of the story, and. I think, like as Lewis had mentioned earlier in the podcast, this was one of the ones that came out later in the VHS run, probably maybe 97 or 98. So some of the features that they actually included on the VHS tape, uh, the Blue Peter segment and some things like that, were um, they're back on this DVD. So there's only a few things that are that are exclusive to um, to the DVD. There's a, a segment on the Postal Tower and on the location filming and of course the audio commentary which is is probably the the number one feature to, to most fans um, and not to forget I, the the absolutely 
you know, insanely detailed but amazingly cool feature on the restoration of the of the missing scenes. Yeah, yeah, it was quite impressive. Shows the detail, the the lengths at which uh, fans and the professionals here will go to uh, make sure a Doctor Who story is as complete as possible. Well, that that featurette that it showed the, how they put the puzzle together was really interesting. Where all the, the different clips came from, um, the, where they were pulling from Nigeria and and other sources, um, Australia, and putting it all together and cleaning it up. They really did an outstanding job in that respect. I've always praised the restoration team, and and I always will. That they're just they're just um, you know the amount of effort that goes in, and almost in a it, it's it's definitely done. Uh, with love in their heart because there's there's there isn't enough money to compensate people for the amount of effort that goes into meticulously and i do mean meticulously restoring these these classic episodes and 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 what what probably makes it easier for the restoration team is that the fans have a vested interest in seeing them succeed like if i had a clip that could help the restoration team. I would go to the post office and mail it to them. It's that kind of passion uh, from fandom as well as from the restoration team that, that allow us to have these just spectacular DVDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as Ken had mentioned, this is a classic black and white serial dating back. This was transmitted in June and July of 1966, yeah. um, one of the um, later William Hartnell stories. And this is uh, long before there was the Whopper from War Games. This is, we now have the Wotan. Now, I wonder if that was an inspiration because it seems awfully similar where you have Wotan or Votan in this, which is a computer, a very um, an intelligent computer. And, and here, this is called the War Machines. And then in War Games, you have a similar adversary you know in a sense even though the stories are, are drastically different but you want yeah, one... there's also a, a deliberate attempt to try to create the new daleks yes. by having the war machines unfortunately yeah. they're just so big and so cumbersome that uh, if they were just not practical yeah this is also the forerunner to unit stories yes. we always we always credit mm-hmm. uh, the invasion or the web of fear for being the forerunner to to unit stories but this is a contemporary story Featuring the army, featuring the doctor yes. as the advisor, mm-hmm. not the not the the primary hero role. Essentially, this is a unit story before there was unit. Yes, I mean, mm. I mean it's mm. the it is the first. Well, it's the second contemporary, entirely contemporary Doctor Who story, uh, in 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 the run of the series. I mean, the first was Planet of Giants, but it's mm-hmm. kind of tough to count that one. Uh, this is the first time Doctor Who does present day with present day people, and uh, things like and, the. The night swinging nightclubs like the Inferno. The Inferno Club. Very well, Inferno Club. It's funny. It is a contemporary story, yet now, being that it's it was it was contemporary in 1966, but now it's an historical story because <laughs> because it's, we're it's, looking it's, at the 60s. It yeah. is the debut of the Post Office Tower, which is now the, the the BT Tower. In that sense, it's it does mark a moment in history because it was yes. only a year when that this tower you know was first it was within that first year of the tower being built so um and that plays a prominent role in in uk history which i'm sure uh, james can elaborate a little bit more on that and it's called the post office tower but it has nothing here in the u.s post office equates to mail deliveries of you know snail mail this was a communication tower that was built 
uh, as a part of a, 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 a public um, for the public as a public company or something like that, and then BT British Communi- uh, te- British Telecommunic um, Telecom. T- yes, took it over. So, I, I don't know, James, if you could elaborate any more on that. Well, it was it was originally uh, commissioned by um, the General Post Office, and its basic purpose was um, to basically support uh, microwave aerials that, at the time, uh, were used to uh, carry uh, telecommunication uh, telecommunications traffic from London to anywhere within the rest of the country. Um, so basically, it was very, very high-tech for the time, and uh, eventually uh, it was taken over by BT, uh, who is uh, uh, the main, you know, they're basically like AT&T, but mm-hmm. for the UK. And it's obviously, a, 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 it's become a very iconic London landmark because it's it's a very... It's very tall, obviously, and can be seen from all over. I mean, it, it's most prominently seen from Euston Road, uh, another a major road right in the centre of London and things. So whenever you see uh, the modern kind of equivalent is the London Eye, whenever you see pictures of London or, you know, a silhouette of the London skyline, they always show the London Eye. But of the time, it was uh, the BT Tower. It right, was the tallest you- building of that time. It was of the time. It was it was huge, and uh, it was seen as kind of a very, uh, well, rightly so, a very modern building. Uh, they were trying to create all of these concrete, fashionable buildings of the time, and this was uh, an effort to create a building that was functional as well as modern and and, and in vogue. Whereas before, you know, they'd they'd have a much uh, shorter steel towers and things just on the roofs of, of, of other telephone exchange buildings and things. This was the first sort of attempt to create a much taller structure to uh, something that would be visually appealing that would also serve a, a very important purpose. So um, that's, as far as I'm aware, I mean, I ha- that's just all off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Sure. Um, I'm by no means very good with my history, but yeah, it's basically just a, a major London landmark. So it's always good. I mean, people take Doctor Who to task um, uh, currently for deliberately showing London landmarks and things, but this, it's it's not a modern thing, and this shows it. It's something which has gone back all the way to the 60s. So, well, you you pointed out to the similarity, um, Lewis, uh, to to the war the war games. Yeah, but you also his uh, War Town's a precursor to Boss from Green Death as well. Very similar mm. situation, mm-hmm. although that one had more of a speaking part, almost a Hal Nine Thousand, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, or an insane Hal Nine Thousand. But uh, the war, the, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, even in terms of concept, um, when I first watched this as a a, a little kid. Um, I think I watched it in sort of the the early 90s, and the the parallel thing for me at the time was uh, the Terminator movies. Um, I thought that it had sort of huge parallels. You could almost replace Votan with with Skynet in a way. Um, Mm. The difference is is that the war machines um, are obviously the, the... Terminators, but in terms of the concept of the story, it's it's very, very similar. So, another way in which sort of Doctor Who was was years a, ahead of its time in terms of uh, sci-fi, really. 
It's the it's the season finale of the third series of Doctor Who. Um, clearly, a, an attempt to come to come to to modern London and really a and a way of getting the, the post office tower into the story and showing it off. It was, a, as you mentioned, a public works project, and the BBC is a public institution. So they sort of combined there to to come up come up with a sci fi story to show off the tower and and make it a centerpiece. But and as an overall story goes, it's it's far from perfect. It's a classic because it exists in its in its entirety uh, in the BBC vaults, and we have a, a meticulous restoration of the story. But you have the, you have the introduction of, of Ben and Polly, who yeah. I like. Uh, I've always liked the two of them as as companions, and just the departure and very unceremonious <laughs> departure of Dodo, who is uh, you know of Probably not a a legendary Doctor Who companion. Yeah. Well, it's kind of testament to her that she just says, "Oh, I'd, I'd just like to uh, to to stay behind." And and even worse than that, Ben and Polly have to tell the Doctor that. So now, she just kind of yeah. runs off, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, bye. Do we have any behind the scenes information on this? As far as uh, Jackie Lane, did she have some sort of falling out, or did they just not bother to shoot a departure scene for her? I don't know. It's something I've always wondered about. Um, but I, I, mean, I don't. She, I, she speaks about Doctor Who. You know, she does interviews and things. I don't. I don't think there was any. You know, storming off the set kind of stuff. I. I don't know. You know, that's a, that's a good question. I'm going to have to do. Well, I don't think. I don't think it must. It will have been the case that um, she will have stormed off the set because, I mean, she was still kind of loosely um, related with Doctor Who. I mean, she was Tom Baker's agent for a long time, um, and also uh, represented uh, Janet Fielding, who would then go on to play Tegan and things. So um, I don't think that she necessarily stormed off, but it certainly has never really been alluded to, and I've I've always. Uh, I've always um, wondered, wondered that. Yeah, I mean, the character really just disappears. I mean, from almost like, hey, Ben and Polly are here now. Um, yeah, you can leave. <laughs> what I recall, uh, I don't know the, the, the exact story, but uh, was that uh, it, wouldn't, it wasn't her decision. It was a production decision either. Uh, I don't think even necessarily their contract was up with that episode, although it may have been. But uh, it, she was uh, received a letter of apology after she left the series from Innes Lloyd. Uh, I think the the phrase was that she was a victim of circumstance, mm. and it, it was left at that. Very polite way of putting it. <laughs> uh, so probably uh, I think it was this. Uh, they wanted to get the new characters in, and uh, they didn't uh, hold a lot of regard for the character that was departing. I mean, there's only a couple. There's only a couple of um, of Hartnell episodes left after this one. They were probably in a rush to get. The new companions in place in time to uh, give them, let the audience warm up to them prior to the main change, which was the very first regeneration and, and, and the recasting of the lead, which was an extremely risky decision at that time. We now look back on it as the as the work of genius that it that it is, but at the time it was a it was a very um, a very chancy idea. I think that makes sense. I don't think mm. it's probably no more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. and they just they got their new their new um, their new companions in and get them aboard and send them off in the in the season finale and 
Well, Great stuff. Um, it marks a, a piece of history. We, we mentioned the, the post office tower, and now we're talking about Doctor Who history with the introduction of Polly and Ben into the series and the <laughs> farewell, if you will, of, of Dodo. But it's also infamous in that it's the only time where the Doctor mm. is referred to as Doctor Who. In, yeah. And and if it was just the Wotan computer that said it, you could also you could almost write it off as Yoda speak because he says Doctor. No, he goes Doctor. <laughs> Who <laughs> is required? Sixties. Yeah. So it almost sounds like he's the the, the computer is saying almost in Yoda speak. You know, who is required is the Doctor. But saying mm-hmm. it backwards, you know, Doctor, who is required. But then again, then the, the two human um, who are under the influence of the computer repeat, you know, they need to get Doctor Who there or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. you could, I suppose you could write it off as saying, well, they were under the influence as well. And they were just um, they thought they misheard the, the computer or just like, all right, who's Doctor Who? Yeah, it's it's a curiosity in that aspect. Um I mean, at the time, the end credits still rolled up with Doctor Who, William Hartnell, you know, that was still using yeah. that term, Doctor Who. And, and and it was on the heels of the two Peter Cushing movies where the character's name was Doctor Who. Yes. And, um, but at the same time, you could go to Brain of Morbius and say they showed all the future regenerations of the Doctor or the pa- or, or that the Tom Baker wasn't the fourth Doctor and things through through some issues like that, and that's the fun of a show like this is for people like us to make excuses for stuff like that. This might yeah. have been the, the inauguration of uh, the, the the pedantic fan, perhaps. In that yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, lots of location shooting. We were talking about that earlier about you know talking about the new, you know the current series shooting on location, and I think this is one of the attractions for me with this story is that there was a lot of on location outside you know location shooting, which is an attraction only because, as I said earlier, so much of the series is shot in studio. It's always a treat when we get to, you know, when the actors are outside and we're, you know, the, the wind is blowing through their hair and you're getting you seeing some of the uh, the scenery outside and it's um, it as you said about it uh, uh, and as an and as an historic um, document, you know, a recording of that particular era. When you think about places and times if you mention london in the 1960s people get a very warm fuzzy feeling and here we have a a view of london in in 1966 for this Mm. this hour and a half and uh, you know through doctor who of them as you said going around in real locations and doing things and and those are those were legendary times for london with the the british invasion and, and the music scene and James Bond and Doctor Who and all the things that were going on that you know British Br- British um, uh, culture and, and, and culture in London was was at an all time high. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm. And another point of that that makes this an historical episode as far as Doctor Who goes is that, and we touched upon this before, and you know how it was put together by you know through various means and pieces here and there, but this was a missing story. This yes, you know this didn't exist until you know, they were able to put together from various sources the pieces. So we're fortunate to have this. And, uh, you know, whatever you think of the story itself, and I think maybe we should maybe next go into the story itself. But, I mean, for all these other elements, I think it's an important story for that. Mm, I agree. 
yes, we when it comes to finding missing episodes, never look a gift horse in the mouth. Whatever one pops up, be happy we have it and move along. You know, it's like, you know, you, you can very easily say, oh, if they only found this. No, whatever they find, it's great. Because the yeah. day you find it is the, is the day that we have one more story than we had the day before. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and we I, never thought we would have ever seen the Tomb of the Cybermen complete. And when we found when they found it, they found it complete, and it was like a gift, boom, right in our lap. I mean, back when uh, back when I became a fan, this story was still missing. It yes, was one of the ones that. In fact, when I started watching the the Hartnell stories through the the fan networks and such in those days, before they were uh, on TV again, this was this was a missing story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was mid mid eighties that they found this, Mike. Yeah, nineteen eighty four in Nigeria. Yeah. Along with, uh, what was it, uh, uh, the Time Meddler. I think mm-hmm. they found those two at the same time. And I think they they found the web planet, I, I seem to recall, at the same time, but it wasn't actually missing. But it was, it was part of that same hall of episodes. <laughs> and, and, and that's another thing that goes, uh, that sort of goes uh, under the radar, is we get, we'll get information when they discover a missing episode, but quite often they'll find other prints of already existing episodes and they may make an improvement at certain times whether it be a um a color edition of a black and white episode or partial color clips or if it's okay we we already have um episode seven of the war games but we actually have a better copy of it now those kind of things go for the most part unreported i mean you'll you'll see them now because of the internet but back 15 20 years ago it was just like there was no way of really finding any of that kind of news out. Yeah. A couple other curiosities about this story is that I had mentioned before, this is that at the time period where they were listing the doctor in the end credits as doctor who, but also during the first three episodes of this in the end credits, if you bother to read them, well, it, it has Wotan, the computer, you know, they just, yes, <laughs> and it and wasn't Wotan. until episode four where they say voice of road, you know, Wotan, where they they give the, the the actor's voice on that, but up until that point, it was just Wotan as a character in the story. And, yeah. and on a similar note, this this story each episode starts off with the special um, title cards, you know, introducing part one, part two, and part three and four as well. So yeah, it was, it was sort of the start of this because we'd seen it happen a few more times over the the coming seasons. From this point on, you, know, you saw it a few times with John Pertwee, where you'd have the Inferno or Spearhead from Space, and um, a few times in, I think, in the Ice Warriors, they did a mm-hmm. uh, opening titles or, or part episode numbers in a similar way. Tenth Planet. Yeah, Tenth Planet, same thing. Yeah. Mm. So, but getting to uh, the, the story, I, I don't know if you want to make any other points about. But I, no, no, let's, let's but, go into the story. Yeah, going into the story itself, I mean. Again, I always try to put myself back into the time period of the, of the day, and you know, and and we had mentioned before that these war machines were a little clumsy; they didn't really come off that menacing. Perhaps at the time they were a little bit more menacing. So, uh, but the story itself, I thought, was um, kind of slow. The pacing really wasn't there. I felt that it, you know, the Doctor really didn't have a, a sense of danger. It just seemed to drag a little bit in, in that respect, and there just wasn't a lot of substance to it. It was sort of like these things were happening, these events were occurring while they were just hanging out here on Earth. It just didn't I, have that sense of urgency. I think also in, in the attempt to create the new Daleks by 
<clears throat> by creating these war machines. You know, he he comes out into out of the TARDIS and he's like, "Can't you feel it? You know, the same kind of evil that I, you know, like I'm getting this strange sensation." And they, they try to play up the fact that that these war machines are deadly and dangerous and there's something going on and apparently this computer is psychic because it can hypnotize people and the doctor can sense it and all these kind of things and uh, i mean i have a pretty close relationship with my macbook but but i don't sense it ever really <laughs> you know i mean I, I i just got an iphone and i'm as attached to it as you could possibly get but i don't get that psychic connection that i that i that i that the doctor seems to get with wotan <laughs> It, it, it's not only that, but he just has some sort of psychic influence even over the war machines themselves. He kind of like when faced before he takes that war machine and reprograms it. But before that, when he's encountering the war machines, he just stands up to him and waves his arm sort of like, you know, and, and the war machine kind of complies, you know. And it seems that a war machine can be completely halted by some plastic garden fence. <laughs> yes. By some plastic. Plastic garden chains, you know. Quick, let's put up a velvet rope around this thing. Maybe he'll think he's at the uh, Golden Globes. So, and you had mentioned how the story starts where he, the doctor comes out of the TARDIS and he has this foreboding feeling about this tower and all that, and he naturally goes to it, and they just sort of, you know, which just seems to be typical in Doctor Who, just, oh, yes, you're that doctor, you know, he seems to be expected there. and they, he, he marches right into the tower without any credentials whatsoever. <laughs> no psychic um, paper. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no mentioning whatsoever on how... Um, the computer knows what the anagram of TARDIS is, which it was made up by Susan. So, I mean, we now think of it as being part of the, the whole Time Lord mythology. But at that time, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Susan just made up the name. And uh, Earthly Child, she said, oh, I, I use the, the letters or whatever. Um, there's no explanation of any of that. It was the, like I, it was, uh, the computer found it out on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. And the computer, by the way, which is one of the most modern computers uh, and the most brilliant of all time, is somehow using a printer to tell us its information. Um, mm. You know, oh, look, dot matrix. Well, at the time, that's how they communicated. <laughs> I know. That's, it's just uh, that's pretty credible, I think, actually, yeah. that part. Mm. Our first, our uh, first home computer, which was a terminal, didn't have a monitor, but it had a printout. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Going back a bit. Oh, yeah. um, D Dodo as well in, in the story, well, well, talking about promoting the postal tower, they come right out and he goes, he's, the doctor says, it's finally, you know, oh, it looks like it's finally complete. And it's like, you're a time traveler. It would have been complete for many years. You should have said, oh, wow, I didn't, I, I, I never thought I would see it as a brand new thing like there's no sense that that this is going to be this legendary thing over time it's per, it's presented as being a brand new thing um if we went back in time to see the construction of the empire state building we wouldn't say oh it's finally complete we would say here we are at the start of the empire state building or or something along those lines that we're we're here at the the dawn of this this icon that will last for many many years Mm. I just thought she was commenting on her own timeline, you know, uh, I don't know. Well, it's I, funny because it, she mentions it. the tower is finally complete, and apparently so is her run in the TARDIS. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since, uh, I mean, it took, took several years to build. It just wasn't done when she left. Yeah. So she probably, if, if, if we take that she left in uh, 1965 or earlier in 1966, um, you know, maybe they'd been building. She'd been watching it built for five years, and now she's back, and it's done. That's how yeah. I took it. Yeah. 
So, but now if the doctor is mistaken as a, another doctor that was expected there, this <laughs> other doctor never shows up. <laughs> which, which at least in the Black Orchid is explained. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's convenient. <laughs> For me, I'll agree with you guys. There are some plot holes and it it it, it is a bit dodgy in parts, but I adore this story. Um I, I really, really enjoy it. If not just for the brilliant dialogue, lines like "I dig your fab gear," um, <laughs> and and just the the villains in it: Brett Crimpton, Major Green, um, how sort of brilliantly sinister that they are as you know, sort of the the brainwashed slaves to this this machine. Um, the whole sort of classic panoramic shots of london and that the the sort of scale of the full attack okay ken's pointed out that yes they are they are stopped you know <laughs> by silly means here and there but it, it for me you have to go back in time to the mindset of it and you have to take take it with a little bit of 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 sort of pinch of salt um and I think that that Hartnell's acting in it is 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 as good as it ever is. He's it, it's he really does a brilliant job, um, and it's great to see the introduction of Ben. And although it's kind of winding down in terms of um, uh, Hartnell's uh, time as the Doctor, I think this is this is him almost at his best, if not him at his best for me I, I don't um, think that his companions complement him very well clearly Ben and Polly are, are setting up for Troughton uh, yes. to see the young hipsters that are going to travel with the beetle like Chaplin-esque yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the doctor sort of, yeah, uh, I, but, I agree. but even Dodo doesn't compliment the doctor well I mean he always needed a young girl to sort of ask the who what where when but I think mm. that Vicky and Susan achieve that better than, than Dodo does. And then this is the story right on the heels of, of Stephen leaving. And they do mention it in, in part one that, you know, that Stephen would have loved to have seen this. And um, mm. to me, Stephen Taylor was a great companion because he's the young, youthful hero guy. You know, the, the guy, the, the strapping young lad who can go and throw a punch where the doctor can be the wise counselor. Mm. Um I, there, there's there's this transition moment in this story, and I think Hartnell yeah. doesn't really have a chance to to work to his strengths. Some of those little wise uh, wise Alec comments that he could give to to Ian or or, yes, or to Stephen. Or and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree in that aspect, but for me, um, I mean, what Hartnell has like two more serials after this episode before his regeneration, but what's um, good about this episode in terms of the companions is 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 you've picked up on it ken is the fact that it's clearly intensely influential um on how the show uh will evolve and how it's kind of like looking staring into the future a little bit and seeing what what's going to come and and how okay perhaps ben and, and polly don't necessarily fit very well um with the first Doctor, but they will with the second Doctor and things. And it, it is, in a sense, sort of winding things down. And you've already mentioned as well that it, it also sort of mirrors and, and is almost like looking into the future in that it sort of um, is a 
uh, precursor to the unit stories, those kinds of, uh, of things where the doctor's the advisor, uh, where there's a strong military presence. Um, you know, also the doctor, although he's he's an advisor, he's he's a pacifist, and you know all the rest of it. And I, I really enjoy that. There are, um, as you've all pointed out, holes and and things that don't quite fit in this story. But I can look past them because I I enjoy it so much, and I think that that it, it's kind of um, one of those stories that that is my favourite of of William Hartnell's, just because it, it it's it's at his peak. He's he's almost at his best before the end. Aside from as you pointed out, you know he can you know there's none of the wisecracks with with Ian and things, which was was so good early on. In, in his run and things, but I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well. I'm, no, I'm trying I, my best to. I think to back I think it you up. are, and and I think that the any we we always appreciate the classic stories for what they are. You know, you can't yes. really. There's no way you're going to mount this next to Journey's End and be able to compare <laughs> it. Just it just can't yeah, happen can't, uh, can't uh, be, that, because yeah. there's there, there there's such a um a chasm between them. But I what I'm. My my critique on on this mostly comes from Hartnell had two modern day adventures. He had the the, the um, Planet of Giants and and this one, the War Machines. And I think in both cases, although I like Planet of Giants a little bit more than this one, uh, I don't think the modern era serves his Doctor well. I think his his Doctor shines best when he's either the curious explorer someplace you know on a distant planet or he's um he's exploring history as the um as the guy who's just sort of i can't believe we're here the sort of um mm. older professor role grandfather yes. slash professor role i think those things suit him better than a modern story where a as an example a john pertwee can be the james bond like hero yeah I don't think well, the can, modern setting is, is set for for his type of doctor. I don't think it suits him well. But I do agree that this was probably more a, a, a test run of what yes, the show would eventually come. Yeah. Yes. And I think that 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 Hartnell perhaps wasn't suited for that. And I think that this this is kind of like a turning point in the show. You can see that they're experimenting with it. And for me, um, half of Doctor, what makes Doctor Who so great is that they're willing to change things and they're willing to um, to try and be innovative, even, even if it doesn't always work or even if they don't always explain it. Clearly, we've kind of touched on that with, with Dodo leaving the show and things like that. But, but, but that's what makes um, Doctor Who so brilliant for me is that it's willing to take the risks, you know, uh, and particularly even at the time, it was, it was willing to take the risks to, to do things uh, differently. Um, and I think that's important. And I think that modern television programs can learn a lot from 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 that from that sort of principle and concept. That's all I'm going to say about it. Anyway, I've I've waffled on long enough. I think. Do, uh, do we want to give a TARDIS groan rating for this the story? I I think I think I will. Um, for me, for all the reasons why I've I've explained, uh, I'm going to give it four and a half. Uh, TARDIS grounds out of five um, because I have mainly because I have an awful lot of affection for it. It's not perfect and there is there is a lot wrong with it but I don't care because I'm willing to look past that because for me um, 
it, it's it's a joy that they managed to to rediscover the the footage for this and i always and it's a, a unique insight into the 60s into a turning point in the show um and that's why i love it so much well i think that if we we're going to judge it strictly on on a, a story content and 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 what it brings to doctor who in a 45 plus year view i'm going to give it three and a half tardis groans if I you are an appreciator yeah. of black and white era stories add an extra half or even full tardis groan simply because mm. there is there's a genius to to the, its simplicity and and the way the show was done at the time and just for the fact as mike mentioned just for the fact that we have it and we should always be appreciative of the fact that we can look back on these classic stories, uh, that, that we even have it. Absolutely. But, but I think in comparison to other stories in that era, that's where my three and a half comes in. I think if you wanted to point to something and say to somebody, this is William Hartnell, I don't think this is the story you go to. And that's, that's, that's where my three and a half goes to. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I, can I don't think this it. is your typical William Hartnell story that you could show someone for the first time out of the box and say yeah, you couldn't okay, introduce you someone to dot two yeah. with this that's sure exactly yeah. although it is you can't it's not really a good introduction for Hartnell, but it is a very accessible story i think that's uh, to, true to show people as an, maybe a first black and white story but but i don't but i don't think it has the charm and humor required to win people over who might be like oh this is in black and white and it's made for a dollar 75 you, if you follow what I'm saying, those those kind of people, I, I don't think, I think some people can get past the the budget or the black and white or things like that when there's when there's a, a charm to the show, a warmth to the show, and I think this story lacks a little of that. I, I, you know, when you look at the Time Meddler as a, as an example, uh, the Stevens and the Tardis, and he's dazed or whatever, and he's being confused, and you get those little that little that little banter between him and Hartnell with the, you know, that is a, that's the chair and that's a, a thing with a clock in it and, and sheer poetry and those kind of lines. That is the charm of Dr. Who right there. I, I won't, I, I wouldn't disagree. And I wouldn't uh, certainly wouldn't say it's better than the time meddler or even as good as the time meddler. So I'll say that I know Ken had mentioned that you can't really compare this to a journey's end. And yes, you, I agree. You can't, uh, though watching the story, it was strangely somewhat familiar to more modern contemporary Dr. Who in some respects where, where you have a W on the Wotan computer reminded me of the C on the chest of the Pete's world Cybermen and, uh, where they fenced off that area to capture the war machine sort of reminded me of Army of Ghosts with the Doctor doing his old Ghostbusters thing and trying to capture one of um, the, the ghosts or something like that. So there were just certain elements in it that, that did kind of draw me forward to today's Doctor Who. And um, But going back to what I was saying with the story itself, I, I just felt that, um, and, and Ken had just mentioned it right now, uh, that 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 charm, the humor, this, uh, the chemistry between the Doctor and his companions were lacking a bit in this story. But take it, uh, be that as it may, there was um, many of the historical elements, uh, the other points that are, before we got to the story, because we're reviewing the DVD as a whole. So, um, I mean, as far as the story itself goes, I probably would give it three Tardis groans 
And as far as um, everything else, as far as, you know, being that it's a, a uh, even though it's a contemporary story, it's an historical ep- um, episode, in a sense, as far as it relates to London, the, the, the postal tower, the, the, the post office tower, rather, as well as um, Doctor Who's history as well, the introduction of Polly and Ben and Dodo's farewell, if whatever that may if have call been. it a farewell. Yes. So... <laughs> You know, in that respect, I'll give it four. But so in between, I would give it three and a half TARDIS groans as a, a final rating. The DVD itself is is OK. I know uh, Ken was a little disappointed that there weren't more supplements, extras on it. But I for what? Yeah, it does I, I have, think the, I think that one feature about them putting this putting the puzzle together. I think that was very well done. I think uh, as a feature, uh, something on the post office tower is a watch once kind of thing. And, and I think I, in comparison to some other DVDs, I think this one, as far as uh, also uh, Blue Peter was already on the VHS. Mm-hmm. It had this been the first appearance of it, I think it might've, it might've been something a little more substantial, but that had already uh, appeared in a past production. So I was a little, little bit disappointed in the, in the extras and in, in the, in the meat and potatoes of, of what else there is on this. And like I said, I just, I've been a little let down by to entertain. I'm not really, not really a fan of theirs. I don't really like, I, I can't explain it. It just, it seems a little chintzy and uh, maybe I'm a little biased because they've been, they've been really harsh with this tripods thing. They just, just put the damn things out already. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so again, so I, I would give it three and a half TARDIS groans. Uh, I would up it to four for the, the the history elements that I mentioned, both in Doctor Who and obviously in in, in London, if, if that appeals to you. And story alone, then take it down one. So take it down a half a groan. So, uh, but three and a half is what I would give it. Mike, yeah, your TARDIS I, I, groans? Yeah, I think I, I think four uh, is is where I'd go. Uh, pretty much, uh, I agree one hundred percent with everything James said. Um, think that it's, it's a story that hey. really <laughs> it it stands out looking back at it uh maybe it wouldn't have stood out uh, if it was 1966 looking forward mm-hmm. quite as much mm-hmm. but it just it seems such a type of so much doctor who that has come since right up to the present day uh that, that i have to uh not not necessarily respect the historical setting or the contemporary setting but that it's so it's such a predictor mm-hmm. and it is a lot of fun too uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I'd give it a four out of five. Uh, the the DVD I, I, I'm trying to recall. I th- I'm not sure if this was supposed to have been one of the vanilla releases, and maybe that. And of course, for Doctor Who, a vanilla uh, doesn't have no features; it just has fewer features. Because mm-hmm. um, the the features are a bit light, and uh, the, the post office tower item uh, it seems perfect for a DVD like this. But it wasn't actually produced for the DVD. I think it was a pre-existing. Uh, item that had been on television for the anniversary of the the tower yeah uh, it, it fits onto the dvd quite nicely but you, I, ken's right uh, when i when i pulled the the dvd out to have another look at it uh having it when it came out in uh, region two i wasn't really compelled to rewatch the post office tower segment <laughs> uh, but i was compelled to rewatch the other features and uh, and i really like the commentary track on the i think i don't think we've we've, we've mentioned it uh but it's just the the, the two-hander uh, commentary with Annika Wills and uh, Michael Ferguson. Yes, I think, mm-hmm. uh, is is really terrific. It's it's really a chat. A lot of the time they they 
of what's going on uh, on the screen, and, and that's fine because we can see what's going on the screen. And I, I hate commentaries <laughs> where they just tell you what you're looking at repeatedly, and uh, they go off on all sorts of tangents, not having uh, talked to each other or seen each other in 40 years. Uh, it's quite nice, especially Michael Ferguson. I don't think uh, you know we haven't we haven't heard a commentary from him before. I think, or I haven't. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, Annika Wills uh, is is around a lot, but there aren't that many stories that uh, she could do commentaries. Uh, there are. Well, I guess this is her only complete existing story. I think. Yeah, it's the only story of hers the, that, that that exists in its entirety. So. Mm. Uh, it, that. That's. It, uh, it's interesting that you were talking about commentaries you know good commentaries are either really detail and specific about things on the screen or a very colorful actor or character just is just being themselves in the commentary and it's very conversational and you're getting into the head of somebody that you particularly enjoy their work the worst kind of commentaries are either having to say which are like the Blake 7 commentaries or, um, or the uh, like you said the the um, okay yeah here we are driving in a car like yeah I, okay I can see it yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 Ferguson uh, he, he admits it at one point but it's it's obvious from the start that he's he's watched this, the the watched the video in advance of going into the recording booth so he knows he'll have things to say it's not it's not a spontaneous act. And uh, I think some some people doing the commentaries get a bit lazy when they go into the booth and think, well, I'll just you know give you a stream of consciousness off the top of my head, and uh, and he does so much more than that. So it's it's a it's a very it's a very commentary, and I enjoyed it a lot. Mike, do you have a, a preference to whether you like someone to be really prepared or someone to be very spontaneous? I think it's always better to be prepared. Um, if, if you're good and interesting, you can be prepared and sound spontaneous. But if you're spontaneous and you're not prepared, you can't sound interesting. <laughs> that, that, that's what I think. Uh, and the one single exception may be Tom Baker. Yeah. Uh, but even listen to all, all of his, he does the same thing more than once sometimes on his commentaries. Uh, uh, contrasted with, say, a Peter Davison, who seems to do meticulous preparation uh, before, uh, before his or, commentary. Or Colin Baker, who seems to take doing commentary seriously. Yeah. Oh, and that's what you want. You want yeah. You want people to acknowledge somebody's paying for this. Uh, you know, we already own it, probably. Uh, and uh, you, you know, if you're getting paid, somebody else is paying for the product. Uh, put in the effort. And uh, that's done here. I really appreciate it. It's it's, it's not always the case. All right. Well, I I agree, and I, and I prefer the the research side. And and agree with Tom Baker. I mean, Tom Baker is just such a great personality. It, you know, you could sit and listen to him be Tom Baker, and it is a fascinating thing. But at the same time, you're probably as you made a great point by saying this is probably the first time you've owned this, so you're hoping to find or, or or purchase something that is not only what you already own, but but brings it to the next level, exactly. and, and and research and preparation, the, the difference maker. And I'll say that, I mean, I, I doubt that Annika Wills watched the video right before doing it, uh, but uh, she's uh, she's well-versed in, in conventions, and, and, and she has, her, uh, she has her, uh, her stories of the era down, and she knows what she's going to talk about. Uh, of course, Paul, most of that probably goes out the window when she sees Michael Ferguson for the first time in 40 years, and uh, all the ideas come between. Maybe just by talking to him, she remembers stuff that uh, she hasn't remembered before. Yeah. 
yeah, as far as like background on, on um, unfortunately, you know, some of the people there are no longer with us, uh, Michael Craze and, um, you know, getting some some of their take on, on these other actors that aren't around to do the commentary, unfortunately. And yeah. she's she's quite frank. She's been more frank in, in person at conventions, but she's quite frank when talking about William Hartnell and mm-hmm. uh, the good and the bad. And uh, it's, uh, it's not that it's good to hear that, but it's it's interesting to hear. Well, it's honest. If yes. You want really yeah. just, you know, you want you want honest appraisal as as opposed, to, you know, just being uh, gloss over things or fluff things. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that uh, that about does it for our review and our take on the War Machines. And Lewis, I, I think we just we're going to wrap up Podchock. Is yes. that the yeah. We've, we've gone a bit long and, and it's we, a little longer have... than we expected this show we do apologize for that but uh it's it's a it's a jam-packed show we had a lot to cover this episode we, we do have a, a lot of your feedback to get to and, and you can always um make contact with dr Hupajak. feedback at podshock.net is the email way and, and we like i said we have a, a, a we're backlog of people who have who have emailed recently um some with some some you know feedback that you expect about some of the things that we talked about and others with some suggestions and some stories and stuff so we we haven't forgotten them uh, i've got people who have actually asked some very technical questions about the show um in in um people who are, are going to give birth to some new podcasts perhaps about doctor who or perhaps about some other things so but dvd review we haven't done one in a while we you know we used to do them on a regular basis and then you know what let's do another one we'll do another yeah one. <laughs> you know that we can do no, no, we'll no do... we're gonna we're gonna say it right here right now so that there's no <laughs> excuse we could do uh, doomsday i guess that was released in the u.s quite recently uh, signed up four to doomsday is the make next it, one. make that five to doomsday for me <laughs> <laughs> We could have done four to Doomsday today because there's four of us. Well, if Mike can join us next time, then we can make it four to Doomsday, four to Doomsday. Okay, for the next two hours, we're going to be reviewing four to Doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And four to Doomsday is the next one, probably on our um, Gallifrey 20 preview show. It'll probably be the yeah. next episode on deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also, um, you know, of course, www.gallifreyembassy.org. Podchock.net is the website. Feedback at podchock.net is the email address. And um, we want to thank everybody, of course, for subscribing and telling their friends about Doctor Who Podchock. It's been awesome. We also, uh, those of you who have uh, made donations to Podshock to help us with our um, bandwidth and server costs. We want to say thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. And don't forget the U.S. and U.K. stores. If you're going to Gallifrey 20, perfect excuse to get yourself something to wear to Gallifrey some 20. Something Lewis and I and um, Billy getting to New York Comic Con uh, the weekend before Gallifrey 20 with uh, Paul Cornell and Colin Baker. So if you're down there as well, you'll see us uh, wandering around. We're not scheduled to do anything like panels or anything like that. We're just going as pod shockers wandering about. So do say hello. I believe probably, we'll probably even run into Terras and some of the DWNY people, as, uh, being that this convention is popping down right in, their, right in their neck of the woods. Be sure to say hi if you're there. I think that's going to wrap up everything for this show. Thanks for listening, and um, be sure to come back next time. And thank Mike, you, Mike. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. It's been a long time. I'll have to make sure to make myself available more often. 
Well, next time around is the the galley uh, preview, and and you are uh, you are a seasoned Pulled pro. <laughs> All, All right. right, we'll see everybody next time in episode one forty for four to doomsday. <laughs> one forty for four to doomsday. Okay, well, until then, cheers, everyone. Cheers. See ya. This is Louis Trapani here with a little post note for this episode. Obviously, this episode had some audio problems, some audio distortion, and then towards the end, it was cutting out a bit. Can't explain why this was the case. It was a problem that was um, not apparent while we were recording it, so it wasn't known that the problem existed until after the recording was done, so uh, I do apologize for the problems with the audio that we did have, and hopefully... It won't happen again. We never had this problem, this issue before, and hopefully we won't have it again. And again, I'm at loss to kind of explain why it happened. It was, um, it's very frustrating indeed. Let's just hope that's the end of it. Anyway, cheers once again. See you next time. been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next time for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Opening theme by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This is Louis Trapani. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Louis Trapani. You can also follow James Norton on Twitter at twitter.com slash James Norton. This has been an Art Trap production and is brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. Where's Dodo? Dodo. Excuse me, sir. Oh, where's Dodo? Uh, oh, Ben. How did you know I was here? Oh, where's Dodo? Oh, is there something wrong? Oh, where's Dodo? Oh, she's a little under the weather and she's gone into the country for a few days. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, she'll be quite all right, yes, really.